So happy Father's Day. Can we give all the dads a hand? So um, I, I got to get in touch with the fullness of my dad reflexes this week because Carrie has been in Ethiopia all week. And so some of you are single parents and you do it all the time. And I'm just so impressed with you because here's the reality and honest to God, we have had a blast. I've had so much fun with my kids and yes, they ate too much junk food and stayed up too late and we'll be decompressing this week. But I go on a trip this week, so I don't care. Um, <laughs> But I will also say, I can't wait till my wife comes home. <laughs> I'm worn out. And, and so single parents, I salute you. You guys are, are amazing. We had a lot of fun. How many of you dads have ever gotten in touch with your dad reflexes? Like you've had a moment where if you hadn't been there, the kid would have died um, or been in the hospital for years. Like maybe they're going to be in therapy for years, but you saved them regardless. So I had, I, that video was so funny to me because the beginning, the very first clip when the car is racing down over the hill, I, I was like, how did they capture that? Because that was Presley. And I'm not kidding you. It was the same car. We were at a friend's house for a picnic and the, we're, we're all, all the adults are sitting and relaxing on the patio and I've got, you know, just comfy clothes and hanging out and flip-flops and all of a sudden, there's this red car that I see bouncing down this about a 40, it looked like 90 degrees, it wasn't, but in my dad head, it was like, it was a 90 degree, but it was starting, and it was picking up speed, and I realized, that's my child. That's not a good thing. Like, all those things that happen in your head so fast that you just can't control, and so I'm not kidding you, and I don't even know, Carrie was like, I don't understand how that happened, but I came out of my flip-flops like reverse, like it was like the Flintstones, like, da -da 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 -da. and I took off, and I like ran down the hill, because part of the other thought that I had was, there are, there's a brush pile with sharp shards that are going to impale, like, I don't want to lose a child, I like that one, <laughs> and I want to start over, and I'm watching this car just, jik, 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 and getting faster and faster, and I'm sprinting down the hill, in my head, the one thing that didn't come into my mind was, what's, what am I going to do? Like, what am I going to do when I catch this car? How am I going to stop this bullet trajectory going down the hill? And I'd love to tell you that I got there in time and that everything, that I slid and took the hit and caught her. Like, that was, I didn't. The car, <laughs> the car drifted to a stop, and I'm like, oh, what's the gore that I'm going to see? And she was fine. Like, the brush didn't even come close to her. It was a complete overreaction on my part. And she's sitting there at, like, two years old going, <laughs> Like, the word she knew was, again. <laughs> I was like, no, but I think, I think that the nature of those, those reflexes, and mom, you have these reflexes too, but, but dads, there's something about us that kind of grabs onto that. You watch, and I don't even know how they caught some of those videos, but they're, they're awesome, and I was thinking, you, you know, what, what a reflex is, is this. I don't know if you ever heard this definition, but it's an action that's performed as a response to a stimulus and without conscious thought. That's what a reflex is. So a reflex is something that is performed as a response. So something's happening and you respond and, and it's without conscious thought. Like it just takes over and you start to happen. So we all know kind of the reflexes that we have. The doctor takes that little hammer and hits you in the knee and your leg kicks out. And, and, and you know, some, some people, if you touch a hot stove, then you, you jerk your hand away. I've got this reflex because I was hit in the eye with a baseball when I was 12. So anything that comes at my head, it's like the matrix. You're not going to touch me. Like, I am that fast, and, and that's, that's just how it happens. You sneeze sometimes to get, you know, all, all that stuff out, gagging when a boy band comes on the radio. You can't control that. Um, like, we have these reflexes that come into play, 
And, and I think what the reflexes do is they put us in a position that it protects us or it eliminates a threat around us. And the reality is they kind of just happen. They're lodged so deeply within who we are that when they take over, we didn't even know it was going to come, and it, and it does. And, and so here's my proposition for you today. I think there's another reflex that many of us have and many of us have lost. And I think in many ways, it's time that we start to recapture some of this. And I'm not talking about the dad reflex of how you go and rescue your kid, but I'm talking about a reflex that every one of us were gifted with in the core of our being. So I want to show you this verse, and, and then we're going to get into a story in the scripture a little bit later. But I want you to see this verse because this spells it out for us. This is Genesis 1, verse 27. You don't have to turn there. We'll have it on the screen. But here's what it says. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And this reflex, this, this thing that I'm going to talk to you about came because when God created us, the scripture tells us that God actually shaped the man out of the, out of the dirt, out of the clay, and he breathed his breath. And I don't think that's God just giving us a breath. I think that's God giving us his breath. And that's a whole other sermon, by the way. That's a powerful idea but God breathed into us, and he gave us something that made us in his image. And so for, for centuries, literally, theologians have debated what is the image of God? What does it mean? They use the phrase the imago Dei. What does it mean to be created in the image of God? What is it that sets us apart from, from the rest of creation? And, and I, I just want to say that we're going to talk a little bit about that today. I don't think this is all encompassing of what it means to be in the image of God, but I do think it's a part of it. And, and men in the room, I'm going to say this. Can I just say this to you? I think many of you have lost this reflex the most. And I'm going to explain why. I'm going to kind of deal with some of this stuff. But, 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 but I want to give you just a, a picture of, of why I say that I think, men, we struggle with this the most. Because years and years ago, there was this movement, and we've all known and heard and talked about this, and I think it's an incredibly important movement, this culture of equal rights. And, but, but what has happened along the way, this is, I read this article this week, and I thought this was so fascinating, because I think as a Christ follower, I've thought this. But this is a secular writer in the New York Times, and he wrote an article called The Boys Are Not All Right. The Boys Are Not All Right. You can look it up. Here's what he said. The past 50 years have redefined what it means to be female in America. Girls today are told they can do anything, be anyone. Boys, though, have been left behind. No movement has emerged to help them navigate toward a full expression of their gender. It's no longer enough to, quote, be a man. We no longer even know what that means. And I want to say this to you because some of you immediately, when I, when I start talking about this, you're hearing, well, he's against women and equal rights. No, go back to the podcast a couple weeks ago because I preached that message. But what I'm saying to you is as important as the equal rights movement is, was, and will continue to be because I believe that and I believe the church has hurt women in many ways. I think the part of the fallout of this has been that men have been lost in truly defining who they are and who God has made them to be. Uh, another writer in Time magazine said, we have the window right now. Now listen, these are not Christians. I, I just want you to understand this. He said, we have the window right now to redefine what a good man, a real man is in the 21st century. And then he says this, and this is where I kind of lost tracking with him. He said, the, the future of men is women because, and I'm going to explain this to you, my point is this, in our world today, we believe, what we have grown to believe is that the answer for us to figure out what it means to be human is to look to humans. 
Does that make sense to you guys? What we've said is, well, if I want to be the purest man that I can be, I've got to look to other men. Or if I want to be, if you want to be the best woman you can be, you need to look to other women. So women, be powerful, be bold, be strong, be the you you're supposed to be. Or men, look at the women's, this is what the time writer says, look at the women's movement as a way of getting in touch with who you are. This is why if you go on Amazon and you look at self-help, there's literally millions and millions and millions of results that will come back. And my point is this. This is what I want to kind of grab onto. Humans, listen, don't miss this. Humans have never had the answer about what it means to be human. We have never had that answer. We have continually, epically, every time failed at what it means to be human when we've looked at ourselves to try to figure out what it means to be human. I expected some amens on this stuff. Because... Because we're broken, we're fragile. We are, at best, broken mirrors of what we're supposed to be, right? The, the first thing that happened when God breathed life into the, the man and the woman was you're created in the Imago Dei, and we began to rebel against that. So what I'm saying to you today is if we want a full model, a full understanding of what it means to be human, we have to go back and look at Jesus to understand the fullness. fullness. So guys... Today, listen, and ladies, you got to hang with me because you don't have a choice. They are here, all right? The guys showed up on Father's Day. Can we celebrate that? Amen. So guys, today is for you. Today, I want to paint a picture of the dad reflex that I think so many of us have lost, and I want to invite you to trust this instinct, this reflex once again, and and, and we're going to bring this around because it's so important. Ladies, I'm going to say this today. Today isn't just a guy thing. Today is also about you. You guys have heard me say this. Usually on, uh, on Mother's Day, we just love and celebrate. All moms are great, and they're awesome. And then on Father's Day, we beat the guys up, right? Like, step up, be a man. Come on. I'm saying today, guys, I want to just encourage you. I want to just, just celebrate what God has put in you already and invite you to bring that to life. Some of you, listen, some of you, here's what I know. Some of you have been hurt along the way. Some of you have had a dad who did not reflect the heart of God in the way that they should have. And so you have a difficult time. When we start using language of the Heavenly Father or talking about that, you go, I don't even know what that means. I never had a good father. I don't really want to understand that. And I want you to look back today at the heart of a father and trust that his heart is deep within us. And it just has not been used well by us because we've been looking to ourselves for answers. So I want to look at a passage of Scripture. This is going to be familiar. If you have grown up in church, I'm sure you've heard this story. If you haven't grown up in church, I bet that you've even heard this story. It's from Luke 15, and it's the, it's the part of a story about a God who loves finding lost things, right? Luke 15 is the story of the prodigal son. So look at verse 11 of Luke 15. We'll have it on the screen. Here's what it says. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. So Jesus is telling this story, a parable. And as you read parables in the scriptures, you always want to be asking, what is God like in that story? Because Jesus told these stories to tell us who God was and what he was like. So there's a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Okay, so understand, this is where this story starts. This one son comes to the father and says, hey, that inheritance that I'm going to get when you croak, I want that now. All right? That's kind of the PG-13 version, right? (laughs) Basically, this is what the Jewish people would have understood. This son had gone to his dad and said, I really wish you were dead. I really wish you were dead. I'm kind of just spitting in your face. I want you to give me what's mine. 
And, and so as we read this story, what I want to do is give you several things. Now, I don't usually do numbered points, but this is a six-point sermon. I'm going to be fast, I promise. Okay, some of you, if it goes past three, you're stressed out. And, but the, I couldn't shorten it. I tried, so you got to deal with it. All right, I want to give you six reflexes that I think we need to recapture. Here's the first one, right? The first one is this, surrender the, to the choices your children make. As parents, as dads, as moms, you need to surrender. To reflect the heart of God, you need to surrender to the choices that your parents or that your children make. Surrender the choices that your children make. What I love about this story of the prodigal son is because if you read the rest of Luke 15, go back and read it this week. That's your homework, okay? There's two other stories. And the first two stories are a a parable of lost sheep and a parable of a lost coin. Right, That there is a person, and there's a person who has 100 sheep, and one of them gets lost, and the person leaves everything they have to go find the lost sheep. And then there's a person, and they lose a coin, and they go, this is like my youngest daughter. She crawls around Kroger's finding pennies. That's what she does. I'm like, I'm trusting she's going to be our accountant, and she's going to make the money for me someday. But, but they, this, this God in those first two stories says, I lost something, I'm going to go get it. What's fascinating to me about the prodigal son story is the son comes to the father and says, I wish you were dead, give me my share, I'm going to go off in the wilderness by myself. And the father says, okay, okay. See, what the tension of that, what's so, what's so compelling to me is we know in these three stories that we serve a God who loves finding lost things, but we also serve a God who surrenders if we want to go lose ourselves. We serve a God who says, I'm going to let you take this choice. I'm going to let you be the person with free will. So this is a tension for parents. Listen, if you're a parent in the room, listen. Is your child lost? Because if they're lost, you need to pursue them with everything you have. You need to go after them. You need to chase them down. Show them the love of God. Go after them. Is your child rejecting truth? If your child is rejecting truth, then you have to allow that to happen. This is so hard. This is the surrender piece of parenting. Parents, God gave you your kids, right? God gave you your kids, so you cannot force it, force them to believe in Jesus. You have to surrender that. And praise God as this story goes on. Look at verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had. He set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be... In need. Listen, when you surrender your kids, some point they will be in need. And that's where they need the love of God. The dad reflects, the mom reflects that God puts in us. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And then look at verse 17, one of my favorite, one of my favorite parts of this. When he came to his senses, it took the muck and the mud and the junk of the pigs for this kid to realize. I'm kind of an idiot. I was kind of stupid. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out. I will go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. And that's the breakdown of this this living that he had engaged in. And then, this is, this is the verse we're going to sit on for a while today. Here's what it says. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. Now, I want you to understand because this verse highlights the other five. I gave you the one. Surrender the choices that your kids are going to make. 
Dads, listen, I know that it's hard. I know you see so much potential in your kids and you want to drive, you want to push, but you have to surrender. But this verse tells us the five other things that the reflex of God the Father has put in our heart. Here's the first one. He says this, while he was still a long way off. While he was still a long way off. You know what that tells me? That tells me that every single day that this child was gone, that this son was gone, that the father had seen him come to him and say, Dad, I wish you were dead. Will you give me all my inheritance? And the son packed his bags and he left and he went to this. He went where he went. That every single day the dad got up and he walked out to the edge of the hill. And I'm looking. I want to know if he's coming back. I want to, while he's still a long way off. That's the instinct of the good father that no matter how far away we go, that the father is looking for us. He had a habit of looking, a habit of pursuing, a habit of thinking. And that's this, in, this is the reflex, right? This is the principle of this, the first one. Invest love in your kids over time. Invest love over time. Listen, if I, I know love is important, but I'm not sure if love or time is more important in that phrase. Right, because here's the thing. Words, words are just words until you put them over time. Because when you start to put words over time, the words create an identity, they create a legacy, they create something that a child begins to live into. Oh, you think I'm valuable. You think I'm, you've given me words over time, over time, over time. Tribes, people that you surround yourself with, listen, are just people until you put that community of people around your kids over time. That's why the church is so important. This is why many of you, listen, need to hear this, need to hear the truth of this. You're investing hours and hours and hours and hours into your kids' lives when it comes to sports and music and practices, and that's all important stuff. But I wonder, down the road, 15 years down the road, when the child has wandered off into the wilderness and you haven't invested a community of Christ followers around them over time, if you're going to wish you to spend more time in that. Tribes over time. Words over time, fun over time. See, fun is just an experience that's expensive until you put it over time. And then you create memories and you create a legacy. You create something for your kids. This is why, listen, this is why what you do this week and next week and the month after matters because you are investing as a parent, as a mother, as a father over time. Here's what I've learned, what I'm learning, what I continue to learn. The stages and the phases of our ch children are hard. Have you noticed? Like I look, there's an amen, yeah. I look and I'm like, man, these young families that are having babies, they're crazy. They're nuts. That's exhausting. And then I got my adoption paperwork. <laughs> like they're crazy. Why are they doing this? Well, I would never want to. And then I look at toddlers and I'm like, no, that was the hardest. I just, I just forgot. I forgot how hard that was where they're bumping into stuff and you're just worried they're going to die every day. Like, are they going to fall against the coffee table? Let's put rubber padding on it. And then, and then you look at you go, ah, that was so rough. And then three, three-year-old was, ah, are you kidding me? Terrible twos. <laughs> three was awful. And then elementary school comes along and you've got all these other human beings entering their life that you can't control. Right? And now what do we do with that? And then, then there's this thing called middle school. God, please pray for me. Right? Every one of the stages and phases are hard. But I would also say this. I, I have had fun, more fun, every year of my kids' lives. I, and some of you go, no, wait, you haven't wait to get to high school. I can't wait. 
And you may, you're all like, you're crazy. No, I'm not. I have seriously enjoyed every single year. But I want you to understand this. The father getting up and looking every single day, he's investing over time. Because you know what I remember as a kid? I remember when I was graduating high school, I couldn't wait to go to college to get out. But then every time I would come home from college, it was harder to leave because my family invested love over time. And that turnaround happens somewhere along the line. Fathers, you've got to invest that over time. Here's the next part of that verse. His father saw him. See, it says this, when he was still a long way off, go ahead to the next slide, then it says, his father saw him. So here's the reflex that that brings about. And this sounds like such common sense, but I want you to grab this. We have to begin to see our kids. We have to begin to stop, to slow down long enough. You know how many other things that father could have been getting done that day at the farm? Amen? Amen. You know how many other things he could have been doing besides worrying about his stupid son who had abandoned him and gone off in the woods? He stopped. He slowed down enough to see your kids. I know you guys are sick of that box that I used in the last series, but your hopes, dreams, and desires, what is in your kids' box? What's their hopes? What's their dreams? What's their desires? What do you need to see about your children? I, I want to find, here, here's my goal as a dad. Listen, I want you to, this, this is just for me, this kind of like vision statement of my kids. I want to see what they're passionate about, and I want to unleash them to it. So our, our middle daughter is super passionate about drama and theater. I know nothing about that world. Like upstage, downstage, stage right, stage left. That's just stupid and backwards. Like why don't everybody, right is right is right, left is left is left. Like stop. I don't understand that world, but it's what she's passionate about. So I want to see that in her and I want to help her understand what Jesus thinks of that. Because when we see our kids, when we see their passions, we're reflecting the heart of God. James 1 It says this, I love these verses. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Listen, don't miss this, okay? Don't don't miss this. Every good thing in your life, every perfect thing in your life is from God. It's from God. He, and you know what that tells us? He chose to give. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. That tells us that we have a father in heaven who at the very core of who he is likes to give gifts. And he likes to give gifts that he sees in his children. Hey, I know you're passionate about that. Watch this. I'm gonna give you something that fuels that passion because we serve a heavenly father who sees his children. Can I just challenge you? Some of you can't see your kids because you're so busy entertaining your kids. Some of you can't see your kids because you're so busy running your kids. Some of you can't see your kids because you're so busy training your kids. Some of you can't see your kids because you're so busy disciplining your kids, lecturing your kids, convincing your kids, debating with your kids, arguing with your kids. Whatever it is, we need to stop so that we can see our kids. It said while he was still far away. I love that. I saw what he needed. I saw where he was while he was still so far away. I saw him. I think the father knew, that's, my, that's the way my son walks. That's his body type. He's a little heavier now, but he, it's his body type. He's, he's limping a little bit, but that's him. I know, I know that's my son. I wonder how many of us know our kids that well. I try, and this is, and this is just a practical idea. I, we're not perfect at this, but I try to give every Friday to take one of our girls to breakfast before school, and I call it, 
in my head, Discipleship Fridays. Now, let me tell you what discipleship looks like. Where do you want to eat? The donut shop? <laughs> cool, let's go. Because their eclairs are heavenly. That's a divine moment, right? And so we sit down. Hey, how's everything going? It's going good, Dad. <laughs> Anything you want to talk about? Nope. <laughs> Bella, sit down and be still. Like, that's kind of... But you know what? If I invest that over time... There's something that's going to make an impact. And you know what it creates? It creates an environment where they trust, where they believe that their dad cares. Here's the next thing. It says, while he was far off, he saw him. And then it says, and he was filled with compassion for him. Here's the third reflex. Display compassion for your kids. Dads, this is so hard, right? Now, some of you are like, no, I have compassion for my kids. Really? When they do something stupid, do you have compassion for them? Do you truly have compassion for them then? Display compassion for them. When they make bad choices, display compassion. Be filled with compassion. When they make poor decisions, when they give you annoying behavior, be filled with compassion. This is what I love because this is Jesus, right? Did you ever notice throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Gospels, the stories of Jesus? It doesn't say when Jesus saw the crowds, he thought about how big his ministry could be. When Jesus saw the crowds, he thought about how much money he could get in the offering. When Jesus saw the crowds, he was really annoyed with how dumb the people were, so he decided to teach them. It doesn't say any of that. It says again and again and again, Jesus saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion. He was moved by compassion. Jesus is, I believe, one of the driving forces, the vision of his ministry was compassion for lost people. It was a compassion to see. And listen, if we can't see that in our kids, we can't ever see that in the world. You can't ever see that in the world around you if you can't have compassion for your kids. I know they make bad decisions. I know we all do it because we've all done it. But somewhere along the line, the thing that's going to win them back is not another lecture. It's compassion for them. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that we serve. Display compassion for your kids and then watch what he does. That's why the next piece of this happens. He ran to his son. He ran to his son. Now, I want you to understand this. this. This thing called compassion moves us to action. Pity lets us stay where we are. Oh, I feel really bad for you. Tough luck. Compassion moves us toward them. The father sees his son a long way off. And I want you to understand this because in this culture, this father was wealthy. He was a landowner. He probably had good robes. He was probably in a, in a convenient place. He's standing on the hill. And he sees his son. Now, a picture, right? You're wearing a robe, dads. I know that's weird. Go with me. And you see your son, and you start running in the robe. You know what happens when you run in a robe? Not good things. So culturally, this man says, I will throw off every bit of decency. I will throw off all the things that everybody thinks I should do. I'm going to run to my son. Nothing else matters. I got to get to my son. He's coming home. I don't care if it embarrasses me. I don't care what it means. I'm going to run to my son. And that's the reflex. Run when it's time to run. Run when it's time to run. When your kids need you, run to them. I, I, I hear this all the time in, in parents and dads and moms. And, well, they've just done this. And I don't know what I should do. I don't know if I should, should go to them. They called me. I, I'm not sure if I should go and help them or let them learn a tough lesson. Listen, I'm just telling you what I do. You work it out. I'm going to err on the side of running. I'm going to run to them every chance I can. If they're asking me for help, I'm going to show up. 
I'm going to do it again and again and again and again. I'm going to go every time they call me. Every time you say, well, yeah, but, but what do you do if they're really in trouble and they need to learn a hard lesson? I'm just telling you, I'm going to work it out. I'm going to run as hard as I can. Run when it's time to run. Should I bail them out from jail? Run when it's time to run. Just go. Just go. Because that's the God we serve. And here's what I know. Moms, you already get this better than us as dads. Because you got the mama bear thing in you. Yeah. <laughs> you get this. You, you've got that crazy bone, right? That when somebody crosses your kids, it's like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Something takes over and you don't care. You see red. You see nothing but your child. And you're going to tear through anything or anyone that gets in the way. My mom almost did it to a state policeman one time. It doesn't matter. I'm going to get in there and I'm going to fight this battle. Dads, I think this is harder for us because, here's the reality, because I think we have a harder time defining who we are. I think it's, it's part of that confusion of what does it mean to be a man today? Should I be tough? Should I be strong? Should I be silent? Should, what does this mean? I think we need to throw off a little bit of decency, men. I think we need to throw off a little bit of that to run to our kids when they need us. Because I think, again, that's what we see in God. Matthew 7 says this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. You know what that tells me about prayer? You're never going to annoy God. You're never going to pray in a way that God's going to be like, could you just drop it for a little bit? I mean, isn't that what we feel as parents? Okay, just give me a break, right? God just says, keep asking. Then verse nine, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask of him? And that takes us to the very last part of this, that that this father threw his arms around him and he kissed him. Now listen, guys, I know some of you are like, ooh, careful now. Here's the reflex. Embrace your kids, kiss your kids, and their mom too. And their mom too, because they need to see it. They need to see it. I don't, listen, I don't care how you grew up. I mean, I do care, but at this point, I don't care. (laughs) I don't care if your dad never showed you affection. I don't care if your dad was the dad behind the newspaper every evening at 6 p.m. and you just felt like he was checked. I don't care. Because we have to at some point, guys, please, just let me encourage you in this. We have to at some point stop basing our image of what it means to be a perfect father on an image of a fallen earthly father. And I'm not speaking poorly of your dad. I'm saying he was broken just like you. And I have compassion for him and you. But I'm saying at some point, we have to overcome. I don't care how you grew up. I'm telling you, every single day, you need to hug your kids. You need to kiss your kids and their mom too. That can be your mantra this week. Hug my kids, embrace my kids, and their mom too. I'm going to tell you this. Try it two times a day for the next week. I'm going to tell you, it will up the climate, the environment, the atmosphere of everything around you. Your kids, you're going to freak them out. (laughs) Dad, why are you hugging me? (laughs) Will you just kiss me on the head? You just show up and do that? What are you doing? The wife is going to be like, what is going on? What do you want? And the answer is nothing, <laughs> by the way. The answer at that point is nothing. But I'm telling you, this father 
demonstrates this to his son in the midst of the most broken part of his life that the son has ever been in. The most shame-filled moment of his life, the father shows up, he embraces him, and he kisses him. Look at verse 21. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer even worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. I think the father was just like, shh, shh. <laughs> No, but dad, I, shh, shh. Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf, kill it, have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. So they began to party. I know it says celebrate, but they partied. They partied. Let's have a feast, let's celebrate. And that's this final reflex. Learn to celebrate. Learn to celebrate in your family. Learn to celebrate when they return. Carrie comes back tomorrow. We're going to party. I'm telling you, we're going to party. We're going to get something good to eat, and I'm not going to cook it. It's going to be awesome. We need her back. We want her back. But what if we celebrated the return every time it happened? What if we celebrated that homecoming? What if when our kids came home from school or practice or whatever, we simply let them know that we're glad they're home? Can I just tell you this? Can I just tell you a pet peeve of mine? I don't know if this is biblical or not. I can't stand it when parents talk to me and they say, ugh, school's about to let out. I can't stand that. And I really can't stand it if your child is standing right there. Because what you're saying to them is, I really would rather you not be here. Christ followers, I can't wait for my kids to be around me. Do I get annoyed with them? <laughs> yes, I'm human. But when I celebrate the fact that they are in my life and I celebrate when they return and I let them know that it's good when they're in my presence, what I'm doing is investing over time to create an environment that they know is safe. That when they blow it, when they screw up, hey, dad's always been happy when I've come home. I'm gonna go home again. I screwed up. I'm not going to run to something false because dad wants me to come home. Mom wants me to come home. He's created, we've created an environment that is safe, that is welcoming, that they want to return to even when life goes to hell. They want to come back to the place that they know is safe. So let me just give you these and then we're going to close. I, man, I would, could keep going on these. These are the six. Invest love over time. Learn to see your kids Learn to display compassion for them. Run when it's time to run. Embrace your kids. Kiss your kids and say it together. And their mom. And then celebrate their return. And you know why? This is the why. This is where we're going to close. Because this is what God does for us. I'm not telling you these as principles of being a good dad or principles of being a good mom. I'm telling you because this is how God treats us. Every time we go and squander our lives, every time we run away from God, listen, if you grew up in a church where God was angry all the time and God was mad at you, then you got the wrong God. Because the God of the Bible, I told you in these stories, ask what God is like. What is God like? God is the Father. God is the Father on a hill going, when are they going to come back? I know, I gave them their choice. I surrendered. I let them kind of go their way. But when are they coming home? I can't wait. When they come home, I'm going to throw off indecency. I'm going to run to them. I'm going to cast it all aside. I'm going to go get them. I can't wait to put my hands around them. I can't wait to hug them. I'm going to welcome them home, and we're going to party. That's what we're going to do. And so here's what I want to do as we close. I want to invite you to respond and trust that that's the God who does that for us. 
and the God who wrote long ago, listen, the image of God, he breathed his life into you. He gave you these reflexes. He gave you these instincts. This is why the Hallmark commercials move us. Guys, I don't care. I know some of you tear up at those commercials because God put these things in us that when we recognize homecoming, when we recognize love and grace, we trust it. We go, that's real. I, I want to share that. I want to I pour that out. So I'm going to invite the band to come. We're going to pray in just a minute. But I, I'm going to get a little bit out of your comfort zone today, okay? It's way in my comfort zone. Guys, I'm going to ask you to come right down the aisle. And I want everybody to just surround the guys. We're going to pray for you today. Pray for you today. Like now. Let's do that now. Let's stand together. Some of you are like, really? We have to do that? Now, that doesn't mean just stay in your chair. That means get in the center. You can all get together. Here, here's the reality. In this church, listen, don't miss this. In this community, in this region, I love that we have another group here representing another body of Christ because we are one body of Christ. Come on down in the center. Everybody get in the center. We need men to be men. And listen, I don't mean that as the macho version that you think you saw on Rambo growing up. I need, we need men that stand on a hill watching their children come home, getting uncovered, watching the grace of God be poured out, saying, we're going to do whatever it takes to not lose a generation of kids. You know what I heard the other day? I heard the statistic that there's about 42 million kids, if we don't do something in the church in America, that we're going to, because the church is in so much decline, we're going to lose 42 million youth over the next generation. Guys, lead the way. Become what that means. And women, listen, this is not men are tough. This is let's do this together. So I'm going to ask you to surround these guys as we pray over them. And then we're going to gather. You can go back to your chairs because I know you're all like, this is awful. <laughs> and go with your wife, whatever you need to do. But we're going to sing and we're going to worship God. And as we sing, we're going to declare, God, I'm going to be that man that you want me to be. I'm going to let these reflexes out. I'm going to let these instincts out. So let's pray together. Gather around these guys. If you want to extend a hand, feel free to do that. But I'm going to pray this prayer over you. Heavenly Father, you are the giver of every good and perfect gift. And today, God, we are gathered around these men, recognizing every single one of them, even all of us, God, myself, are broken. We have been hurt. We have felt lost. We may be there right now. We have struggled to feel like we measure up. And yet, God, we are your sons. And we also acknowledge here that you are the father we have always needed. Many of us have had hints of how good you are based on our loving fathers, and many of us have never seen that. So we know that at best, we've only scratched the surface of how good and perfect you are. And so today, Jesus, we ask that you would remind us that you are the father on the hill looking to see if we will come home. Today, you are even calling some of us to come home. Today, you're the father who sees us the minute we turn to you, the second we turn to you. You are the Father who runs toward us. You don't stand with arms crossed, shaking your head, but you, God, gallop. You spring forward toward us in the fullest way possible. Today, you are the Father who throws off all decency and you catch us in stride with the embrace of love and the affection of a kiss and you can barely get, we can barely get the words out because you want the party to start. You are a true Father. So Heavenly Father, would you encourage the men in this room? Would you embrace them? Would you love them so aggressively that they can't help but fall more in love with you? Would you make every single one of us more like 
you? Would you strengthen these reflexes in us to become the men you want us to be, created in your image? And would you help us to love like you? Help us to love our children like the good father you are. Help us love our wives like the good father you are. Help us love this world boldly and courageously like the good father you are. Cast off of us our shame. Cast off of us our fear and our bondage that holds us back from the grace and the mercy and the love that those you have loved can carry out. Father, thank you. And may we hold each other up to live and to love as you have lived and loved for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's worship together.